Welcome to Dreamful Podcast, bedtime stories for slumber. I would like to start off this episode by thanking our newest Patreon supporters, Taylor Sherman, Courtney Goodman, and Haley Dover. Thank you all so much, and I hope you have the sweetest of dreams. If you find value in Dreamful and would also like to contribute to the show, please visit dreamfulstories.com. We can find info about the show and on the support page, there's a link to leave a one-time donation with PayPal, get bonus episodes synced to Spotify with Supercast, or become a Patreon subscriber for bonus episodes and other perks. Life can be overwhelming and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Symptoms can include lack of motivation, feeling helpless or trapped, detachment, fatigue, and more. I started a new job in April, and between that and my kids and this podcast, I could feel myself quickly moving towards a state of burnout. But luckily, with therapy, I have learned to set up working boundaries for myself that help so much. That's why I am so thankful this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress like it did mine. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Dreamful Bedtime Stories listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com dreamful. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash dreamful this has been such an enjoyable series and i've had so many listeners request stories that go longer than just one or two episodes this episode is the third and final part of the wonderful wizard of oz so snuggle up in your blankets and have sweet dreams The next morning, they started on their journey back to the Emerald City, as if they were quite sure which way they were going. If we walk far enough, said Dorothy, we shall sometime come to some place, I am sure. But day by day passed away, and they still saw nothing before them but the yellow fields. Then Dorothy lost heart. She sat down on the grass and looked at her companions, and they sat down and looked at her. None were at all sure what to do. Dorothy looked inside the golden cap 
and saw some words written upon the lining. These, she thought, must be the charm. So she read the directions carefully and put the cap upon her head. The sky darkened and they heard a great chattering and flapping of wings as the band of winged monkeys flew up to them. The king bowed low before Dorothy and asked, What is your command? We wish to go to the Emerald City, said the child, and we have lost our way. We will carry you, replied the king, and no sooner had he spoken than two of the monkeys caught Dorothy in their arms and flew away with her. Others took the scarecrow and the woodman and the lion, and one little monkey seized Toto and flew after them. Dorothy found herself riding easily between two of the biggest monkeys, one of them the king himself. They had made a chair of their hands and were careful not to hurt her. After a while, she looked down and saw the green shining walls of the Emerald City before them. She wondered at the rapid flight of the monkeys, but was glad the journey was over. A strange creature set the travelers down carefully before the gate of the city. The king bowed low to Dorothy, and then flew swiftly away, followed by all his band. The four travelers walked up to the great gate of the Emerald City and rang the bell. After ringing several times, it was opened by the same guardian of the gate they had met before. What? Are you back again? He asked in surprise. But I thought you had gone to visit the Wicked Witch of the West. We did visit her, and now she is melted, said the Scarecrow. Melted? Well, that is good news indeed, said the man. Who melted her? It was Dorothy, said the lion. Good gracious, exclaimed the man, and he bowed very low indeed before her. Then he led them into his little room and locked the spectacles from the great box and all their eyes, just as he had done before. Afterward, they passed on through the gate into the Emerald City. And when the people heard from the guardian of the gate that they had melted the Wicked Witch of the West, they all gathered around the travelers and followed them in a great crowd to the Palace of Oz. The soldier had the news carried straight to Oz that Dorothy and the other travelers had come back again after destroying the Wicked Witch. And four minutes later, they all went into the throne room of the Great Oz. Of course, 
Each one of them expected to see the wizard, and all were greatly surprised when they looked about and saw no one at all in the room. They kept close to the door and closer to one another, for the stillness of the empty room was more dreadful than Oz himself. Presently, they heard a voice, seeming to come from somewhere near the top of the great dome, and it said, I am Oz, the great and terrible. Why do you seek me? They looked again in every part of the room, and then, seeing no one, Dorothy replied, We have come to claim our promise, O Oz. What promise? asked Oz. You promised to send me back to Kansas when the Wicked Witch was destroyed, said the girl. And you promised to give me brains, said the Scarecrow. And you promised to give me a heart, said the Tin Woodman. And you promised to give me courage, said the Cowardly Lion. Is the Wicked Witch really destroyed? asked the voice. And Dorothy thought it trembled a little. Yes, she answered. I melted her with a bucket of water. Dear me, said the voice. How sudden. Well, come to me tomorrow, for I must have time to think it over. You've had plenty of time already, said the tin woodman, angrily. We shan't wait a day longer, said the scarecrow. You must keep your promises to us, exclaimed Dorothy. The lion thought it might be as well to frighten the wizard. So, he gave a large, loud roar, which was so fierce and dreadful that Toto jumped away from him in alarm and tipped over the screen that stood in a corner. As it fell with a crash, they looked that way, and the next moment, all of them were filled with wonder, for they saw, standing in just the spot the screen had hidden, a little old man with a bald head and a wrinkled face, who seemed to be as much surprised as they were. The Tin Woodman raising his axe, rushed toward the little man and cried out, Who are you? I am Oz, the great and terrible, said the little man in a trembling voice. But don't strike me, please don't, and I'll do anything you want me to. Our friends looked at him in surprise and dismay. I thought Oz was a great head, said Dorothy. No, you are wrong, said the little man. I have been making believe. Making believe, cried Dorothy. Are you not a great wizard? 
Hush, my dear, he said. Don't speak so loud, or you will be overheard, and I should be ruined. I'm supposed to be a great wizard. And aren't you? she asked. Not a bit of it, my dear. I'm just a common man. But I don't understand, said Dorothy, in bewilderment. How was it that you appeared to me as a great head? That was one of my tricks, answered Oz. He led the way to a small chamber in the rear of the throne room, and they all followed him. He pointed to one corner in which lay the great head, made out of many thicknesses of paper and with a carefully painted face. This I hung from the ceiling by a wire, said Oz. I stood behind the screen and I pulled a thread to make the eyes move and the mouth open. Really, said Scarecrow, you ought to be ashamed of yourself for being such a humbug. I am, I certainly am, answered the little man sorrowfully. But it was the only thing I could do. Sit down, please, and I will tell you my story. So they sat down and listened while he told the following tale. I was born in Omaha. Why, that isn't very far from Kansas, cried Dorothy. No, but it's farther from here, he said, shaking his head at her sadly. When I grew up, I became a ventriloquist, and at that I was very well trained by a great master. I can imitate any kind of bird or beast. Here. He mewed so like a kitten that Toto pricked up his ears and looked everywhere to see where it was. After a time, continued Oz, I tired of that and became a balloonist. Well, one day I went up in a balloon and the ropes got twisted so that I couldn't come down again. It went way above the clouds. So far the current of air struck it and carried it many, many miles away. For a day and a night, I traveled through the air and on the morning of the second day, I awoke and found the balloon floating over a strange and beautiful country. It came down gradually, and I was not hurt a bit, but I found myself in the midst of a strange people, who, seeing me come from the clouds, thought I was a great wizard. Of course I let them think so, because they were afraid of me, and promised to do anything I wished them to. Just to amuse myself and keep the good people busy, I ordered them to build the city and my palace, and they did it all willingly and well. Then I thought, as the country was so green and beautiful, I would call it the Emerald City. And to make the name fit better, I put green spectacles on all the people so that everything they saw was green. But isn't everything here green? asked Dorothy. 
No more than in any other city, replied Oz. But when you wear green spectacles, why of course everything you see looks green to you. The Emerald City was built a great many years ago, for I was a young man when the balloon brought me here, and I am a very old man now. But my people have worn green glasses on their eyes so long that most of them think it really is an Emerald City. And it certainly is a beautiful place, abounding in jewels and precious metals, and every good thing that is needed to make one happy. I have been good to the people, and they like me. But ever since this palace was built, I have shut myself up and would not see any of them. One of my greatest fears was the witches, for, while I had no magical powers at all, I soon found out that the witches were really able to do wonderful things. There were four of them in this country, and they ruled the people who live in the north and south and east and west. Fortunately, the witches of the north and south were good, and I knew they would do me no harm but the witches of the east and west were terribly wicked, and had they not thought I was more powerful than they themselves, they would surely have destroyed me. As it was, I lived in deadly fear of them for many years, so you can imagine how pleased I was when I heard your house had fallen on the wicked witch of the east. When you came to me, I was willing to promise anything if you would only do away with the other witch. But, now that you have melted her, I am ashamed to say that I cannot keep my promises. I think you are a very bad man, said Dorothy. Oh no, my dear. I'm really a very good man, but I'm a very bad wizard, I must admit. Can't you give me brains? asked the Scarecrow. You don't need them. You are learning something new every day. A baby has brains, but it doesn't know much. Experience is the only thing that brings knowledge. And the longer you unearth, the more experience you are sure to get. That may all be true, said the Scarecrow. But I shall be very unhappy unless you give me brains. The false wizard looked at him carefully. Well, he said with a sigh, I'm not much of a magician, as I said, but I will stuff your head with brains. I cannot tell you how to use them, however. You must find that out for yourself. Oh, thank you. Thank you, cried the scarecrow. I'll find a way to use them, never fear. But how about my courage? Asked the lion anxiously. You have plenty of courage, I'm sure, answered Oz. All you need is confidence in yourself. There is no living thing that is not afraid when it faces danger. True courage is in facing danger when you are afraid. And that kind of courage you have in plenty. Perhaps I have, but I'm scared just the same, said the lion. I shall really be very unhappy unless you give me the sort of courage 
that makes one forget he is afraid. Very well, I will give you that sort of courage, replied Oz. How about my heart? asked the Tin Woodman. Why, as for that, answered Oz, I think you are wrong to want a heart. It makes most people unhappy. If you only knew it, you are in luck not to have a heart. That must be a matter of opinion, said the Tin Woodman. For my part, I will bear all the unhappiness without a murmur, if you will give me the heart. Very well, answered Oz meekly. You shall have a heart. I have played wizard for so many years that I may as well continue the part a little longer. And now, said Dorothy, how am I to get back to Kansas? We shall have to think about that, replied the little man. There is only one thing I ask in return for my help, such as it is. You must keep my secret and tell no one I am a humbug. They agreed to say nothing of what they had learned, and went back to their rooms in high spirits. Even Dorothy had hoped that the great and terrible humbug, as she called him, would find a way to send her back to Kansas. And if he did that, she was willing to forgive him everything. Next morning, the Scarecrow went to the throne room and found the little man sitting down by the window, engaged in deep thought. I have come for my brains, remarked the Scarecrow, a little uneasily. Oh, yes, sit down in that chair, please, replied Oz. You must excuse me for taking your head off, but I shall have to do it in order to put your brains in their proper place. So the wizard unfastened his head and emptied out the straw. Then he entered the back room and took up a measure of bran, which he mixed with a great many pins and needles. Having shaken them together thoroughly, he filled the top of the scarecrow's head with a mixture and stuffed the rest of the space with straw to hold it in place. When he had fastened the scarecrow's head on his body again, he said to him, Hereafter, you will be a great man, for I have given you a lot of brand new brains. The scarecrow was both pleased and proud at the fulfillment of his greatest wish, and having thanked Oz warmly, he went back to his friends. Well, I must go to Oz and get my heart, said the woodman. So he walked to the throne room and knocked at the door. Come in, called Oz, and the woodman entered and said, I have come for my heart. Very well, answered the little man but I shall have to cut a hole in your breast so I can put your heart in the right place. 
I hope it won't hurt you. Oh no, answered the woman. I shall not feel it at all. So Oz bought a pair of tinner shears and cut a small square hole in the left side of the tin woodman's breast. Then, going to a chest of drawers, he took out a pretty heart, made entirely of silk, and stuffed with sawdust. Isn't it a beauty? he asked. It is indeed, replied the woodman, who was greatly pleased. But is it a kind heart? Oh, very, answered Oz. He put the heart in the woodman's chest, and then replaced the square of tin. There, he said, now you have a heart that any man might be proud of. Then the tin woodman went back to his friends, who wished him every joy on account of his good fortune. The lion now walked to the throne room and knocked at the door. Come in, said Oz. I have come for my courage, announced the lion, entering the room. The little man went to a cupboard and, reaching up to a high shelf, took down a square green bottle, the contents of which he poured into a green gold dish beautifully carved. Placing this before the cowardly lion, who sniffed at it as if he did not like it, the wizard said, Drink. What is it? asked the lion. Well, answered Oz, if it were inside of you, it would be courage. You know, of course, that courage is always inside one so that this really cannot be called courage until you have swallowed it. Therefore, I advise you to drink it as soon as possible. The lion hesitated no longer, but drank till the dish was empty. How do you feel now? asked Oz. Full of courage, replied the lion who went joyfully back to his friends to tell them of his good fortune. Thus, each of the little party was satisfied, except Dorothy, who longed more than ever to get back to Kansas. To her great joy, Oz sent for her, and when she entered the throne room, he said pleasantly, Sit down, my dear. I think I have found the way to get you out of this country, but the first thing to do is to cross the desert, and then it should be easy to find your way home. How can I cross the desert? she inquired. Well, I'll tell you what I think, said the little man. You see, when I came to this country, it was in a balloon. You also came through the air, being carried by a cyclone. So, I believe the best way to get across the desert will be through the air. Now, it is quite beyond my powers to make a cyclone, 
but I've been thinking the matter over, and I believe I can make a balloon. How? asked Dorothy. A balloon, said Oz, is made of silk, which is coated with glue to keep the gas in it. I have plenty of silk in the palace, so it will be no trouble for us to make the balloon. But in all this country there is no gas to fill the balloon with, to make it float. But there is another way to make it float, which is to fill it with hot air. Now, if you will help me sew the silk together, we will begin to work on our balloon. So Dorothy took a needle and thread, and as fast as Oz cut the strips of silk into proper shape, the girl sewed them neatly together. Then Oz painted it on the inside with a coat of thin glue to make it airtight, after which he announced that the balloon was ready. But we must have a basket to ride in, he said. So he sent for a big clothes basket, which he fastened with many ropes to the bottom of the balloon. When it was all ready, Oz ordered the balloon carried out in front of the palace, and the people gazed upon it with much curiosity. The tin woodman had chopped a big pile of wood, and now he made a fire of it, and Oz held the bottom of the balloon over the fire so that the hot air that arose from it would be caught in the silken bag. Gradually, the balloon swelled out and rose into the air, until finally, the basket just touched the ground. Then Oz got into the basket and said to all the people in a loud voice, I am now going away to make a visit. While I am gone, the scarecrow will rule over you. I command you to obey him, as you would me. The balloon was by this time tugging hard at the rope that held it to the ground, for the air within it was hot, and this made it so much lighter in weight than the air without, that it pulled hard to rise in the sky. Come, Dorothy, cried the wizard. Hurry up, or the balloon will fly away. I can't find Toto anywhere replied Dorothy, who did not wish to leave her little dog behind. Toto had run into the crowd to bark at a kitten, and Dorothy at last found him. She picked him up and ran toward the balloon. She was within a few steps of it, and Dawes was holding out his hands to help her into the basket. When the ropes broke, and the balloon rose into the air without her. Come back, she screamed. I want to go too. I can't come back, my dear, called Oz from the basket. Goodbye. Goodbye, shouted everyone, and all eyes were turned upward to where the wizard was riding in the basket, rising every moment farther farther into the sky, and that 
was the last any of them ever saw of Oz, the wonderful wizard. Dorothy wept bitterly at the passing of her hope to get home to Kansas again, but when she thought it all over, she was glad she had not gone up in a balloon, and she also felt sorry at losing Oz, and so did her companions. The morning after the balloon had gone up with Oz, the four travelers met in the throne room and talked matters over. If Dorothy would only be contented to live in the Emerald City, continued the Scarecrow, we might all be happy together. But I don't want to live here, cried Dorothy. I want to go to Kansas. Well then, what can be done? inquired the woodman. The Scarecrow decided to think, and he thought so hard that the pins and needles began to stick out of his brains. Let us call in the soldier with the green whiskers, he said, and ask his advice. So the soldier was summoned and entered the throne room. This little girl, said the scarecrow to the soldier, wishes to cross the desert. How can she do so? I cannot tell answered the soldier, for nobody has ever crossed the desert, unless it is Oz himself. Is there no one who can help me? asked Dorothy. Glinda might, he suggested. She is the witch of the south. She is the most powerful of all the witches, and her castle stands on the edge of the desert, so she may know a way to cross it. How can I get to her castle? asked Dorothy. The road is straight to the south, he answered. We shall go tomorrow morning, returned the scarecrow. So now let us all get ready, for it will be a long journey. The next morning, they all shook hands with the soldier with the green whiskers, who had walked them as far as the gate. When the guardian of the gate saw them again, he wondered greatly that they could leave the beautiful city to get into new trouble. But he at once unlocked their spectacles, which he put back into the green box. He then opened the gate of the outer wall and they walked forth and started upon their journey. The sun shone brightly as our friends turned their faces toward the land of the south. They now turned and took a last look at the Emerald City. All they could see was a mass of towers and steeples behind the green walls, and high up above everything, the spires and dome of the Palace of Oz. The first day's journey was through the green fields and bright flowers that stretched about the Emerald City on every side. They slept that night on the grass, with nothing but the stars over them, 
and they rested very well indeed. In the morning they traveled on, until they found themselves in a disagreeable country, full of bogs and marshes and covered with tall, rank grass. It was difficult to walk far without falling into muddy holes, for the grass was so thick that it hid them from sight. However, by carefully picking their way, they got safely along until they reached the solid ground. But here, the country seemed wilder than ever, and after a long and tiresome walk through the underbrush, they entered another forest, where the trees were bigger and older than any they had ever seen. This forest is perfectly delightful, declared the lion, looking around him with joy. Never have I seen a more beautiful place. Before they had gone far, they heard a low rumble, as of the growling of many wild animals. Toto whimpered a little, but none of the others were frightened, and they kept along the well-trodden path until they came to an opening in the wood in which were gathered hundreds of beasts of every variety. There were tigers and elephants and bears and wolves, foxes and all the others in natural history. And for a moment, Dorothy was afraid. But the lion explained that the animals were holding a meeting and he judged by their snarling and growling that they were in great trouble as he spoke, several of the beasts caught sight of him, and at once the great assemblage hushed as if by magic. The biggest of the tigers came up to the lion and bowed, saying, Welcome, O king of beasts. You have come in good time to fight our enemy and bring peace to all the animals of the forest once more. What is your trouble? asked the lion quietly. We are all threatened, answered the tiger, by a fierce enemy which has lately come into this forest. It is a most tremendous monster, like a great spider. Not one of us is safe while this fierce creature is alive. The lion thought for a moment. If I put an end to your enemy, will you bow down to me and obey me as king of the forest? Inquired the lion. We will do that gladly, returned the tiger, and all the other beasts roared with a mighty roar. We will. Where is this great spider of yours now? Asked the lion. Yonder among the oak trees, said the tiger, pointing with his forefoot. He bade his comrades goodbye and marched proudly away to do battle with the enemy. The great spider was lying asleep when the lion found him, 
and it looked so ugly that its foe turned up his nose in disgust. Its legs were quite long, and its body covered with coarse black hair. It had a great mouth, with a row of sharp teeth a foot long, but its head was joined to the pudgy body by a neck as slender as a wasp's waist. This gave the lion a hint of the best way to attack the creature, and as he knew it was easier to fight it asleep than awake, he gave a great spring and landed directly upon the monster's back. Then, with one blow of his heavy paw, all armed with sharp claws, he knocked the spider's head from its body. Jumping down, he watched it until the long legs stopped wiggling, when he knew it was quite dead. The lion went back to the opening where the beasts of the forest were waiting for him, and said proudly, You need fear your enemy no longer. Then the beasts bowed down to the lion as their king, and he promised to come back and rule over them as soon as Dorothy was safely on her way to Kansas. The four travelers passed through the rest of the forest in safety, and when they came out from its gloom, saw before them the beautiful country of the Quadlings. The country of the Quadlings seemed rich and happy. There was field upon field of ripening grain, with well-paved roads running between, and pretty rippling brooks with strong bridges across them. The fences and houses and bridges were all painted bright red, just as they had been painted yellow in the country of the Winkies, and blue in the country of the Munchkins. The Quadlings themselves, who were short and fat and looked chubby and good-natured, were dressed all in red, which showed bright against the green grass and the yellowing grain. They walked by the fields and across the pretty bridges until they saw before them a very beautiful castle. Before the gates were three young girls, dressed in handsome red uniforms, trimmed with gold braid, and as Dorothy approached, one of them said to her, Why have you come to the South Country? To see the good witch who rules here, she answered. Will you take me to her? Let me have your name, and I will ask Glinda if she will receive you. They told her they were, and the girl soldier went into the castle. After a few moments, they followed the soldier girl into a big room, where the witch Glinda sat upon a throne of rubies. She was both beautiful and young to their eyes. Her hair was a rich red in color, and fell in flowing ringlets over her shoulders. Her dress was pure white, but her eyes were blue, and they looked kindly upon the little girl. What can I do for you, my child? She asked. Dorothy told the witch all her story, 
how the cyclone had brought her to the land of Oz, how she had found her companions, and of the wonderful adventures they had met with. My greatest wish now, she added, is to get back to Kansas. Glinda leaned forward and kissed the sweet, upturned face of the loving little girl. Bless your dear heart, she said. I am sure I can tell you of a way to get back to Kansas. Then she added, But, if I do, you must give me the golden cap. Willingly, exclaimed Dorothy. Indeed, it is of no use to me now, and when you have it you can command the winged monkeys three times. And I think I shall need their service, just those three times, answered Glinda, smiling. Dorothy then gave her the golden cap, and the witch said to the scarecrow, What will you do when Dorothy has left us? I will return to the Emerald City, he replied, for Oz has made me its ruler, and the people like me. The only thing that worries me is how to get there. By means of the golden cap, I shall command the winged monkeys to carry you to the gates of the Emerald City, said Glinda, for it would be a shame to deprive the people of so wonderful a ruler. Turning to the Tin Woodman, she asked, What will become of you when Dorothy leaves this country? He leaned on his axe and thought a moment. Then he said, The Winkies were very kind to me and wanted me to rule over them after the Wicked Witch died. I am fond of the Winkies, and if I could get back again to the country of the West, I should like nothing better than to rule over them forever. My second command to the winged monkeys, said Glinda, will be that they carry you safely to the land of the Winkies. Then the witch looked at the big shaggy lion and asked, When Dorothy has returned to her home, what will become of you? Over the hill, he answered, lies a grand old forest, and all the beasts that live there have made me their king. If I could only get back to this forest, I would pass my life very happily there. My third command to the winged monkeys, said Glinda, shall be to carry you to the forest. Then, Having used up the powers of the golden cap, I shall give it to the king of the monkeys, that he and his band may thereafter be free forevermore. The scarecrow and the tin woodman and the lion now thanked the good witch earnestly for her kindness, and Dorothy exclaimed, You are certainly as good as you are beautiful but you have not yet told me how to get back to Kansas. 
Your silver shoes will carry you over the desert, replied Glinda. If you had known their power, you could have gone back to your Aunt Em the very first day you came to this country. But then, I should not have had my wonderful brains, cried the Scarecrow. I might have passed my whole life in the farmer's cornfield. And I should not have had my lovely heart, said the Tin Woodman. I might have stood and rested in the forest till the end of the world. And I should have lived a coward forever, declared the lion, and no beast in all the forest would have had a good word to say to me. This is all true, said Dorothy, and I am glad I was of use to these good friends. But now that each of them has had what he most desired, and each is happy in having a kingdom to rule, I think I should like to go back to Kansas. The silver shoes, said the good witch, have wonderful powers, and one of the most curious things about them is that they can carry you to any place in the world in three steps, and each step will be made in the wink of an eye. All you have to do is knock the heels together three times and command the shoes to carry you wherever you wish to go. If that is so, said the child joyfully. I will ask them to carry me back to Kansas at once. She threw her arms around the lion's neck and kissed him, patting his big head tenderly. Then she kissed the tin woodman, who was weeping in a way most dangerous to his joints. But she hugged the soft, stuffed body of the scarecrow in her arms instead of kissing his painted face, and found she was crying herself at the sorrowful parting from her loving comrades. Glinda the Good stepped down from her ruby throne to give the little girl a goodbye kiss, and Dorothy thanked her for all the kindness she had shown to her friends and herself. Dorothy now took Toto up in her arms and having said one last goodbye, she clapped the heels of her shoes together three times, saying, Take me home to Aunt Em. Instantly, she was whirling through the air so swiftly that all she could see or feel was the wind whistling past her ears. The silver shoes took but three steps, and then she stopped so suddenly that she rolled over upon the grass several times before she knew where she was. At length, however, she sat up and looked about her, Good gracious, she cried, for she was sitting on the broad Kansas prairie, and just before her was a new farmhouse Uncle Henry built after the cyclone had carried away the old one. Uncle Henry was milking the cows in the barnyard, and Toto 
had jumped out of her arms and was running toward the barn, barking joyously. Dorothy stood up and found she was in her stocking feet, for the silver shoes had fallen off in her flight through the air and were lost forever in the desert. Aunt Em had just come out of the house to water the cabbages when she looked up and saw Dorothy running toward her. My darling child, she cried, folding the little girl in her arms and covering her face with kisses. Where in the world did you come from? From the land of Oz, said Dorothy, and here's Toto too. And oh, Aunt Em, I'm so glad to be at home again. <laughs>